Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Coffee Gets Cold podcast. I'm your host, Janama, and I'm back this week with a guest. Um, and just apologies if she's listening. I can't pronounce her name, last name correctly. I think it's Basma Hashimi. I'm so sorry. I know that I love words and all that jazz, but I can't pronounce certain things, and I don't think I pronounce it right, so I apologize. But she's one of my closest friends. Well, she has become one of my closest friends recently. I met her before Ramadan, subhanAllah. And even when you meet someone and suddenly you you just feel like you know them for so long and your souls feel so connected, that's personal for me. And it's been fabulous to have her on the podcast, but as well as to call her a close friend of mine. Um, she's just a wonderful person, a wonderful soul. And... Her insights on this podcast was so incredible and just in awe of her energy and I can praise her forever. But um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode because I enjoyed it. I love her company and she is an inspiration to me and hopefully to all of you guys listen to this. And I just want to thank you as well, first of all, for listening to our podcast. We've had, a, a, you know, an enormous range of people listening over the past few weeks. And that's all thanks to, you know, you guys sharing it, sharing with your friends, all you guys just posting about it on social media and just tune in because this is what we try and create a community and we're really doing that alhamdulillah so thank you for that and I'd love to any feedback if you have please feel free to you know um send us a review and you know shout us out on instagram and send us a message but thank you so much and let's go to today's guest so today we have a very special guest she is my new newest friend i think on the block i think i met you in ramadan before Ramadan began, actually, a week before Ramadan, because we had a Ramadan event at our MSA. Whenever the SIP, like, and study was... Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it was, I remember, yeah, and when I met you, it was like, oh, this person's really cool. Like, it was just very, in- 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 I was instantly just, like, felt very close to you, and you were just fantastic. Um, I forgot to mention her name. Um, is it Basma? Hashmi. Beautiful name. Beautiful name. Um, so we have her on the podcast today, and she will be our guest, our second guest, third guest. Sorry, I apologize, third guest. Um, we had two of our, um, I had a collective members on it, and she is my newest friend. So in honor of this podcast, and because of we do talk about um, food here in the beginning, um, what is something you must order when you go to a cafe? Um, every time I've gone to a cafe, I feel like I've gotten some kind of like iced mocha. And I like iced things just because it just feels so nice, like the cold and everything, regardless mm. of weather. That's just something I always like gear towards. I don't Even know Even if why. you're sick. If <laughs> Even if I'm sick, like it doesn't matter. Like it just has to be cold. Wow. Ice. Is it ice mocha? Yeah. I smoke. Never tried it. Isn't mocha like coffee, right? It's like coffee, but okay. to me personally, it also tastes like it has like um a chocolate like a chocolatey undertaste mm-hmm. and that's why I mm-hmm. also enjoy it yeah. that sounds cool I have never had that I'm not I always just go for hot chocolate that's just my safe bet um, because I've tried some stuff from Macca's and sometimes it's just not good it's too sugary or it's just very plain and just literally just drinking milk so that's not good um, that sounds great I would definitely add it to my list of stuff for me to try because everybody's all the guests have been saying very different things mm, um, so sounds pretty cool um, okay so, what is your first impression of me? And then I will say what my first impression of you as well. Um, so, yeah, like you mentioned, um, our first interaction was at that, like, 
um, I guess it was like a halaqa, like, because yeah. it was a lot of yeah. Um, I remember I was actually really, really nervous about going to that because it was, well, it's been like a month and a half since we've essentially met each other since then. Mm-hmm. And I was still pretty new to like settling into Sydney and everything. And I was really nervous about making friends because I am a very closed off person. I am very introverted. Um, so my first impression of you was how easy it was to talk to you because I feel like for someone like me, that's very important is because, because I find it so hard to like articulate my thoughts to people occasionally. I was like, oh wow, like this person seems like someone I can actually talk to and have really nice, meaningful conversations with. And it was just, yeah, it was just really nice. And that was like the biggest thing about your personality that stood out to me, mashallah. Mm -hmm. It was like just how easy it was to talk to you. I think that's very rare to find mm-hmm. um and i also quite enjoyed just like off of that one interaction the kind of conversations we had yes. i feel like so much of the conversation we had even back then um wasn't like um icebreaker it was more like <laughs> you went of, deep yeah it was like yeah. a lot of insightful and meaningful conversations that mm-hmm. i enjoyed so mm-hmm. yeah that was my first impression wow you. thank you um yeah we went very deep like I don't ever talk to someone and just sort of go very casual questions. I go very deep and I want to know about you and what you sort of stand for. Um, <coughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, my head. Um, yeah, I think my first impression of you, before I say that, is I had a really bad day. Like, I just finished crying when I met you. I'm not joking. You. Yeah, I had just, I had just had a very bad time and I just finished crying I'd left class and finished crying and then I was coming to avoid everyone like I was going to go to to the bathroom and head down and not see anyone because I didn't want to talk to anyone I went to the bathroom and I was like and I saw you guys sitting down I'm like oh do I have to come and say hello because everybody's here so people who were there already knew I'm like okay fine there's food I'll eat something and stop you know trying to just be absorbed in this emotional state so then I went and got food and then I sat there and then I think you told me to sit on the chair because you someone else had already moved. So I sat there and I was like, oh, this is really nice. I loved your glasses, which is glasses, the shape of it is what I also used to have. Um, and then immediately we just started talking and I was like, I think you definitely made my day because I had a very bad day and I was just like, I need someone to talk to. And you, and you really, I think I resolved my, what I was trying to, struggling with before I met you, but resolved it in my own head while we were talking. Um... But yeah, it was really interesting. You were very nice. You were very lovely. You were very kind. Um, and I think there was an instant, like, it just sense of, like, I felt like I knew you for so long. Yeah, I definitely, yeah. Because a lot of that conversation was not normally, is not normally things I, like, bring up on the first day. <laughs> Someone on this always like, yeah, I'm good. How are you? It's, like, very, um, like, how's the weather kind of questions. It's yeah. never really, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we talked, like, I don't know how long we sat there for, but we were there for, like, a long time, just talking. I was like, I don't want to stop talking to this person ever. Like, she just sounds so interesting. Um, and then, yeah, and then we just got each other's numbers and started texting, and then we found each other in the Masala, and since then, we're still here. But, yeah, I think immediately it was just so lovely, so kind. I knew you were, you were very, like, shy, and I was as well. But I think we opened up slowly. Yeah. And I think I loved your perspective on life. I think that was a big thing. Like, the way you framed everything from your experiences. I was like, that's cool. I like this person. Let's keep going with this friendship. Um, but, yeah, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think that was my first impression of you. And I think, inshallah, I'm praying this friendship continues. Because I feel like it was something that was very needed for me. 
um, and I felt like I've reaped the benefits from being your friend. That is a very nice <coughs> impression of you, though. Can I lie? Yeah, sorry, I go too much sometimes, no, but um, so I really appreciate your friendship. Like, it's like whenever I see you around, I'm like, oh my god, I know her. Like, your fashion sense is beautiful, <sighs> mashallah, and your energy, you radiate so much calmness, so much happiness, and just joy. Um, I thought you were crying for a second. <laughs> I was like, did I make you cry? No, but it is also like gonna make me cry. It's just. Um, I should probably mention I don't always know how to react to compliments, but also, mm-hmm. like, I get so humbled, which is kind of the opposite effect of what compliments <laughs> should do to people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, like, the reason I get so humbled is because it's, like, you know, the fact that people see those qualities in me means, like, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in a way, has showed them those qualities within me. Yes, yes. So it feels very humbling. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, I'm glad to say that all to you. I can't take compliments either, so I understand. <laughs> um, I just start laughing because it makes me feel uncomfortable. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's what okay. I do. <laughs> that's what I do. Like, I'm like, yeah, that's funny, and I just can't stop laughing because I feel so uncomfortable in the moment. But, yeah, it's all true what I said because it honestly feels like something that was so needed and I think um, it's going to go inshallah someplace very beautiful inshallah. and continue growing yeah. um, but it's, it's I mean we aren't, you aren't on, my, on the podcast so that tells a lot I've been on you like literally a few months so <laughs> I think you've got you've got high status with me so far to be on this um, okay so we're going to play the card game the secret chamber of secrets that we have the card game that we did last um, few episodes so you're going to pick one card of each color we have yellow we have blue we have pink and we have green let's go ahead and pick whatever oh, i'm supposed to put it down i'm so sorry <laughs> you're not supposed okay. to see the questions because that would not make it fun okay. so pick any card and then don't and turn it up color, right? each color don't turn it up until we you pick all of them okay um, this two, and then this one and i think this this one okay perfect do the honors of reading it out loud all of them Okay, so the yellow one says, name one thing you've given up for the sake of Allah. Wow. The pink one is, have you ever got your heart broken before? How did it feel? Uh, the green one, what promise do you want to keep to yourself this year? It's a really nice one. <laughs> and the blue one is, what was the moment you felt the closest to Allah in your teen years? Okay. Well, you got very different questions from the last two guests. They got like very similar. Your one's completely different. <laughs> I like quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to think about this too. Yeah, some of them. Maybe you could, you could int- maybe put two of them together if you'd like. Oh yeah, that also works. Yeah. Um. Okay, I think I'll start with the yellow one actually, which okay. is name one thing you've given up for the sake of Allah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's really just one, really big event in my life where I feel like I definitely gave it up for the sake of Allah and it was essentially um, uh, my last year of high school and I had graduated Mm -hmm. and the year I graduated 2020 was lo and behold the year COVID (laughs) was introduced to the world so you know I got like (laughs) well I mean all graduating classes of 2020 got like the worst of it Um, and because it was such like a different period of time like there was so much uncertainty no Mm -hmm. one was sure what was going to happen or how things would like continue um and I remember I was super unsure about where I would go off to university Mm -hmm. and 
um, what had happened was there were people in my family that also quite needed me to be around yeah. so it was that factor made it a lot more difficult to be able to pick a certain university to go to mm -hmm. um, and that was COVID was just like a whole thing yeah. so I remember it was just a really difficult point in time for me because I didn't even know if what I was doing at that point in time was right mm -hmm. um, and so essentially I t ended up taking a gap like a gap year. gap year or almost like a gap year and a half mm -hmm. off um, and I think at that point in time <coughs> it was more it was it had to do with me giving up that point in time like my education mm -hmm. to you know gear my attention towards my family and their needs yeah. um, but also I think about it now and I look back on it and I think it was, in a sense, also one thing I gave up for the sake of Allah, mm -hmm. where I was like, okay, because in my head, my thought process was, you know, in Islam, while it is encouraged that, you know, you look after yourself and you look at your goals and your aspirations, mm -hmm. a really big part of Islam is also making sure that your family is okay. Yeah. And as we know, your mother comes first three times mm -hmm. before your father does. And it was just things like that that really stood out to me at that point in time. Um, around the time where I was going to start taking a gap year and um, I just remember like that that exact line where your mother comes first three mm -hmm. times and then also in his last sermon before passing away the Prophet Muhammad he mentions to always take care of women to look after women yeah. and those things just stood out to me and now I look back and I think that was a really big sign and I thought that was like a really big sign coming in from Allah that you know maybe I should just stop what I'm doing with my studies mm -hmm. and like gear it towards my family because it seems like they do need me mm -hmm. um, for personal reasons and um, once I started applying to universities um, Australia was actually my last option um, I was actually like not very keen on traveling across the world mm -hmm. um, just because it's such a big change and I wasn't sure how I would adjust to that kind of change and it was just so much anxiety involved in that um, so I actually first started applying to countries near Saudi mm -hmm. so it was like um, the United Arab Emirates like Dubai and mm -hmm. things like that and then I applied in Pakistan because that's where a lot of my family resides as well. Yep. And yeah, as like a last plan if all else fails kind of thing, I had Australia. And wow. um, I remember I got accepted into, alhamdulillah, quite a few universities. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I would thank Allah for every opportunity, for every like, you know, acceptance I got into university. And... Uh, for one reason or another, you know, it's those applications or those uh, seats fell through, right? Yeah. And that was more or less because also while I had um, plans to go to a university, my family's opinion of where I went also mattered to me a lot. Yes. So um, that's also kind of the reason why a few of them fell through is because my family was like, no, or more so my father was like, no, no, I don't think this is right. I think mm -hmm. we should wait it out, especially considering COVID's going on. So we should wait it out and yeah. things like that. So I, I had to give up a lot of really nice um, acceptances and offers. And mm -hmm. I remember being so bummed about it at one point in time, but in my, in my head, in my mind, I was like, you know what, like, 
I need to put more of my faith in Allah and I need to trust this process completely because mm -hmm. if I don't trust this process I'm going to lose a lot and not and I don't mean in like a material manner or in mm -hmm. like a physical manner I mean I felt like I was going to lose who I was yep. so I was like okay you need to like get yourself straight you need to understand that this is a learning point for you and it's going to be a really big learning point for you where it's quite literally make or break yeah. so um i was i had to every time i sat down to make dua for myself i was like yeah allah just grant me sabbath that's literally all i asked mm -hmm. for because it's such a tedious process it's so time consuming you never know where you're going or what's happening and yeah that whole just 2020 as a whole was just so miserable and it's like at that point in time i felt so hopeless but i look at it now and it was it was something i felt like i gave up for the sake of allah i gave mm -hmm. up yeah like while my family had told me yeah i don't think you should go here i also feel like some part of me was also like i think i should give this up because i know allah has something better planned for me mm -hmm. um and once like it happens once it happens twice it's okay you understand it but it also got to the point where it had happened more times than i can name yeah. and it was it's a really long period in time like one and a half years is a really long time and um to happen for it to happen so recently at that mm -hmm. because it's only my second semester at university yeah, so it's been very recent mm -hmm. all of these um events and it was it was humbling but it it showed me what Allah always has in mind for everyone mm -hmm. and i think that's yeah like it's such a humbling experience to truly understand that kind of thought process because that's what it i think it's like you know we at often times like we're halfway through this journey that allah has for us but once things get rough you're like oh like you start losing faith yes. or like you no longer trust the process mm -hmm. but it's like that point in time is actually the most pivotal it's the most important because that's truly you know the time where allah will truly get you through it's always the roughest times where like you know you should pray well you should pray at every point in time but like <laughs> the most important and most determining points i think it is natural to want to pray more mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. you're so hopeless at that point in time mm -hmm. and you truly leave everything up to allah mm -hmm. um so yeah that was like essentially just one really big moment in my life where i felt like i had given up for the sake of allah mm -hmm. um so yeah it was i essentially gave up my education put it on hold for mm -hmm. him because mm -hmm. I knew down the line somewhere somehow he'd have something better planned for me and mm -hmm. here I am so wow. can't complain <laughs> what well wow, that, that's like I'm amazed your reflection the way you started it and then you you know the issue and then you resolved it and then you came back and reflected on it <laughs> wow that's amazing I did not know that this is your last option to come to Australia <laughs> Well, I'm honored to be part of Allah's plan to sit here with you and <laughs> met you, you know, to be honest, because it's like, um, wow, I'm just amazed. You have incredible way of words. Um, it's really fascinating because when you were talking through all of that, I really noticed how much, um, there was so much faith in you. Like you really have really been absorbed by Allah's, I guess, his love and you know his religion so i'm asking wondering growing up in saudi was it always 
something that you always had in you or did you like have to you know some a lot of muslims these days sort of like they sort of become um they convert you know to religion again even though they're born muslim because they had an experience so was it for you when you were young was it instantly just you absorbed the religion or did you have difficult times before you really became really like in terms of the religion completely trusting in it i think i definitely had my ups and downs it wasn't Mm -hmm. always instilled within me i think I've had multiple really rough experiences in my life Mm -hmm. where at each point in time I've come to realize that, you know, and this might sound like really, I don't know the right wording for it, but it's like in my head, you know, we are mere specks of dust. Yes. Right. And I think when you think about it like that, to think about how much more life and creation there is out there Mm -hmm. and the controller of all things, Mm -hmm. it truly like, you know, in a way it showed me who I need to turn to, who I need to put my faith into. So yeah, like growing up, um, because my family is like almost alhamdulillah mm-hmm. and I think that's also a really easy and simple way of you know being taught the religion because not everyone is as blessed to have families yes. that are all Muslim mm-hmm. and things like that mm-hmm. um, but yeah my my parents uh, growing up they tried to instill things into me mm-hmm. and also um, because I'm Pakistani a big part of our culture is also our religion yes um, so a lot of those things intertwine Mm -hmm. and it was fairly simple to grow up and understand Islam's teachings yes but I think when I started reaching my teen years it started my faith started like going downhill a little bit Mm -hmm. I can't Mm -hmm. lie about that Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's around the time where I really started to question a lot of things and that's also something growing up I feel like I wasn't allowed to do I feel like um, in my culture it's like here is your like set of beliefs your faith it's like given to you in a box and if you like you know have a question or anything outside of it how dare you like you Mm -hmm. just need to follow these rules Mm -hmm. but it's like but where are these rules originating from where are they coming from what's the thought process behind (coughs) it and it's like just things like that where i was like okay like i i want to figure this out Mm -hmm. i want to know why there are certain things decreed in Islam the way they are or why there is certain phrasing within the Quran the way it is and I think that's where that was a really big turning point in my life and I'm talking like I want to say close to 16, 17 was where sorry where I where my face started going upwards again Mm -hmm. where because when I reached the age of 16 I'd had a pretty rough experience um, and it truly questioned me at my, in my most basic form, mm-hmm. is the easiest way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like, it really, I think when I was 16, I think I would actually say that that specific event in my life truly, like, challenged me. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, it was pretty intense. And I think once that event had occurred with me, um, and I started rebuilding my faith in Allah again and, you know, connecting to him again. Mm-hmm. I think that was when things truly changed for me. And then when I turned 17, I started permanently doing the hijab. And so it was it was a really 
big moment in my life for me because before that I was still like okay yeah Islam is good and I pray five times a day but after that I was like okay Islam <laughs> you know what I mean like, like I'm in it for real now I'm not going yeah. out could you describe that feeling when you sort of I guess you know after your experiences when you were 16 and 17 is there an experience of your own that you've like because you know when psychologists tell um, a patient when they're angry or when they're sad like your body is is sort of like it's showing you reactions to the thing so for example if you're angry you know you, you get very hot around your your head right um sometimes you're you, you clinch your fists right so is there a way you could describe make us understand i guess how is your body feeling in times when you really submitted to Allah. Like, was there a reaction? Was your heart pumping? Like, how did it feel in your body, truly? Honestly, um, the moments I felt most connected with Allah was um, when I made dua, mm -hmm. when I or mm -hmm. when I was in sujood, mm -hmm. um, and that was it. Was truly when I was like at my most hopeless points in time. Mm -hmm. And the event that happened when I was sixteen was I'd faced the loss of someone very close to me, mm -hmm. and that can challenge you in many ways. Yes. Um, and I remember at that point in time, I'd felt so hopeless that I'd just go to Sujood and cry. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd be like, Ya Allah, I've lost all faith. Mm -hmm. I've lost, and not faith in religion, but just faith in humanity. Like, I yes. was like, I've lost, like, I don't know what to do mm -hmm. from here or mm -hmm. where to go. Please help. Yes. Like, it was essentially just a cry for help. And mm -hmm. that's what I did for multiple, like, despairs. I would just cry. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not like, I guess um, how it's supposed to be when you truly feel a lost faith, I guess, in a sense, mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to say. Um, and because I would cry so much in my prayers, I think over time, and a lot of the things I would pray for was the sabr. Mm -hmm. Like, I just felt like having those kinds of, like, you know, qualities instilled in me would get me through some very rough um, moments in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when I look back on it, I can only say Alhamdulillah because at the end of the day, I think in some form my du'as were answered as well. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, like facing the loss of someone, especially when you're 16, you're still growing. You, you, you're you already experiencing so much as an individual. And mm -hmm. then to have someone so close to you, you know, pass away, um, it gets really difficult to cope. And it's, it was just, I look back on it now and I can truly say, like I get goosebumps thinking about it now mm -hmm. because, yeah, without Allah, I feel like I would not have gotten through that point in life or that phase in my life. And um, it was just, yeah, it was just a lot of constant dua. Mm -hmm. And I think at some points in time, um, occasionally when I'm like at an event, and you know i'm surrounded by family everyone's having a good time i have this like weird pause moment where i'm like i wish i could like capture this time and freeze it mm -hmm. and i think maybe in a sense that's also me feeling allah's blessings yes is mm -hmm. like just me looking around and appreciating those things mm -hmm. alhamdulillah for everything i have mm -hmm. but it's like yeah it's just things like that or even just occasionally like if i want to pass with like a really good grade <laughs> on an exam and i pray and i do pass mm -hmm. i owe that credit to a lot like yeah i yeah. did my own efforts but i mm -hmm. think at the end of the day um trusting allah can also just be as something as simple and as small as just hoping that he'll be on your side when you give an exam. Mm -hmm. you know? It doesn't always have to be great, big <coughs> trials and tribulations that are sent your way. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
<laughs> you keep making me speechless. Um, <coughs> God. Um, yeah, I think the, the whole story you're talking about really, I guess, reminds me a lot of... Because um, I think patience for me is something that I really struggle with. I've told a lot of friends that, like, I don't have patience or whatever. They're like, yeah, but you've endured this hardship for years and you haven't, like, left it. You haven't abandoned it. That is patience. Like, what are you talking about? But I thought patience for me was just suffering. Like, it's just allowing yourself to be in pain all the time. But patience looks very different in so many different ways with so many different people. Um, So, yeah, I think... I'm just trying to think because my my brain is, like, really trying to pinpoint... (laughs) my own experiences and how some of them are similar to yours but also very different and I mean reflections because my because I remember um religion uh, yeah one, one of the guests we had the first guest we had she spoke about religion and culture you're Pakistani she was also Pakistani as well she spoke about how sometimes they mold them together and when you put that together separating them is really tragic yeah and i have my experiences of my own culture when people put that together when you want to separate especially as a child trying to learn religion separating from culture people look at like why are you doing that you shouldn't do that that's unacceptable is there do you have experiences in your own community where sometimes those you know religion and culture molded together and you absolutely couldn't handle i guess the power of all of that like um that's a really good question Thank i you. I'm trying to think if there's, like, any points in time that really stand out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess a really good one is um, marriage. Like, I know that's, like, also just, like, a completely out of the water subject. No, you've, you're touching my heart right now. <laughs> so don't worry. But it's, like, the marriage for the longest time, mm-hmm. I'll tell you right now, confused me. Mm-hmm. And not because of what it symbolizes or what it's supposed to mean in Islam and then also in our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just a combination of things. Okay, so like in Islam, it is decreed that you have a simple nikah and then you have a valima. That's it, right? Yes. In our culture, you start off with like an engagement Mm -hmm. or at least I should say in my family because Mm -hmm. across the culture, people have it different ways. But in my family, it starts off with an engagement. And Mm -hmm. this is not legitimate. You're not under that person's nikah yet. Mm -hmm. You're just like, you know, you're engaged to tell everyone, oh, yeah, this person's my fiance. Yes. So that's like the first part. And then we have like this whole like henna function, like we call it mehendi. And Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, everyone puts like henna on the bride. People dress up. And this is a really big function because this is before... um, the union or like before the nikah where um the woman is under the nikah of a man now yes right and so it's like it's a lot of celebration is dancing that's like this one Mm -hmm. function okay Mm -hmm. then you have the nikah that's the second function already okay and then you have this thing we call the rukhsati where essentially Mm -hmm. so in the nikah you're basically husband and wife now right Mm -hmm. no 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 our culture complicates it by saying now the bride must walk away with the groom Mm -hmm. to his house like Mm -hmm. to meet his family and Mm -hmm. to you know essentially show everyone that now she's a part of his family yes Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so that's like yeah that's that's like a whole different function Mm -hmm. um and then you have the valima 
<laughs> my so brain like, keeps screaming money 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 how exactly. much money do you have to spend so that's the thing is in our culture marriage is showcased as a form of your wealth you pinpoint yes. that exactly yes. yeah mm-hmm. and in islam it's actually the opposite in islam the simpler your wedding is they say the more barakah the mm-hmm. more blessings there are in it mm-hmm. and growing up as a child i was just so confused i was like okay first of all and then you have that whole concept of like dowry mm-hmm. where even now i'm just like i don't understand why that's such a formality mm-hmm. and it's like you translate that over onto islam and it's just it's only given over to the wife yes to the woman as a form of security but mm-hmm. in our culture it's also given over to the man oh that's interesting yeah it's very confusing or at least mm-hmm. yeah again in my family i don't want to speak for the entire culture mm-hmm. but it's growing up it's just so much of a differentiation and like it was just so much to absorb especially when you're going to these weddings you know from your family and you have all these questions and then people just say it like it's a no-brainer or like it's super obvious and i'm just like what like (laughs) i'm so confused Mm -hmm. um but i think the one person who truly helped me understand and differentiate that was my father um Mm -hmm. because he is someone that advocates for separating your religion from your culture. And I think he is one Mm of the people growing up who tried to do that for me actively. And Mm -hmm. I appreciate his efforts because they truly show now. Yes. Um, But it's even like just smaller, like, um, not rituals, but Mm -hmm. like smaller habits that are instilled within my family that I've seen that were instilled within me up mm-hmm. until recently and then my dad pointed them out and mm-hmm. was like no this is wrong this is your culture teaching you something about your religion mm-hmm. and they're teaching it wrong um, and just one example of that and you're you're gonna laugh at this one but essentially <laughs> it was so when you have a prayer mat right mm-hmm. you're done praying you can leave it right in our in my family they would say no fold fold a corner mm-hmm. of like the prayer mat mm-hmm. so shaitan doesn't pray but the logic behind that is it's good if shaitan prays like <laughs> why are you folding the prayer mat so he doesn't pray oh what's wrong God. with you and i did that and in, in front of my dad and he he'd known that i'd been doing that but mm-hmm. i was really young to understand it yeah and so this was like a couple of years ago mm-hmm. where he saw me folding it and he's like why are you doing that and then i told him so that shaitan doesn't pray he's like are you listening to yourself right now what do you mean so shaitan doesn't pray what do you mean and then i just stared at him and i had like a eureka moment where i was like oh my god like oh my god that's That's hilarious and it wasn't just him it was also my group of friends Mm -hmm. um back home because Mm -hmm. alhamdulillah all of them are they share the same background as me they're all pakistani Mm -hmm. they're living in saudi arabia Mm -hmm. um they roasted me so much when i did that they're like what are you doing like do you That's want crazy. to keep shaitan around? I was like, no, it's the far. Like, I just, I just didn't know. <laughs> so it's like small things like that. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. like instilled in you from your culture. Yes. But then you read it, read into it from a religious standpoint mm-hmm. in Islam and you're like, oh wow, like this is completely wrong. They're teaching me something that's not mm-hmm. something I stand for or something I should stand for. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Wow, I, I I really appreciate your parents' efforts to really, your dad's efforts to really separate them. Because I think a lot of parents don't allow the separation. And when mm-hmm. a child wants to separate, like don't do that, we don't allow that. That's an acceptable sort of thing. So I think having your father as a role model to really do that and showcase that like, so much things you do in your life that are small habits 
some of them you do without actually knowing and you think it's religion but it's actually just culture yeah it's actually just culture yeah and there's like so many aspects within my culture mm-hmm. that are so so controversial in my opinion because so you there are mufti right mm-hmm. and muftis are essentially just scholars who hold a lot of knowledge of on islam mm-hmm. and they can advise you yep. but they should not be put in the same holding as like you know nauzubillah allah right mm-hmm. they essentially their words shouldn't be taken as gospel is what i'm trying yes. to say mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. now that is something i've actually found very problematic in my culture and this is very recent where there are so many aspects of it still that i just find so problematic where people in my culture will go towards these mufti mm-hmm. you know and that's completely fine you're more than welcome you're always allowed to you know um expand your knowledge on islam yes. not everybody oh understands even i don't understand it's completely fine mm. but to understand the difference between taking someone's word as the truth and truth only and yes. taking it with a little bit of salt and wanting a second or third opinion mm-hmm. is how you should do it mm-hmm. people there they'll follow such wrong traditions they'll go to graves and they'll pray to the dead so that they can pray for them to allah oh wow it's things like that and mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's like, if you sit down and just watch, I would just say, Pakistani dramas, you can see this across a lot of dramas, where it's not them speaking to each other, it's them literally going to, like, grave sites that mm-hmm. are beautifully set up so people can pray to them, mm-hmm. with the intention that those dead people will then pray to Allah for them. Which is so wrong, mm-hmm. because in a sense, that's that's being a kafir. You're, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's things like that where... I found so wrong. Even the co- there's just so many aspects I could go on and it on. It could be on. like a, I should get you and Astro, other guest, <laughs> to sit around and just have an entire Pakistani conversation about culturalism because I would love to hear. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's so like it's it's in my culture as well. The thing is, is people take the like the scholars in our community but only people who look like us and sound like us. Like if you're Pakistani, you tell me what to do. No, you're incorrect. Has people who who look like me, sound like me, and they'll listen to you because they're right sort of thing. So a lot of different cultures have that sense of, like, authority that, okay, this person looks like me, they're absolutely correct, and the person else who is from Saudi or whatever it is. So it's very different also. I think it, it really... I think culture and religion sometimes puts a woman in a place of being uncomfortable because it allows her to feel very, like, she's sort of stuck and she can't move, yeah. and her freedom as a woman, which probably someone has told us a million times, is just never guaranteed. Because like, no, a culture tells you you shouldn't do that, so you shouldn't. But then Islam tells you you should as a woman. You're allowed to speak your voice. You're allowed to have your opinions. But then a lot of cultures shut you down. Like, no, you can't say that because you're a woman. You know, stand your ground. Yeah, it's yeah. You mentioned that, and it's just something that I've also noticed a lot. Mm-hmm. Is like. So in my culture, in my family, um, they say like a woman should know how to like, you know, cook, clean, have all of that, you know, that entire skill set so she can supposedly not only look after herself, but, you know, also take care of her husband, things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. But then you look at it from an Islamic standpoint and they say, and it's said like (coughs) after marriage, the husband actually takes is meant to take more care of the wife than 
she has to of him. Like, it's nice if she can cook and clean mm-hmm. and do all of those things, mm-hmm. but it's actually more on the husband to take care of her than the other way around. Whereas in our culture, oh, the woman has to know those things. She just has to. <laughs> yeah, it's okay if the man doesn't. No, but the why. woman, she... She has to basically babysit him. Yeah, it's... Yeah, mm-hmm. it was very infuriating. And then when I, like, you know, started branching out and differentiating my culture and religion mm-hmm. and reading about them for the first time, to tell you that I was shocked is an understatement mm-hmm. because, like, you know, growing up when you're only told one thing, you're like, okay, yeah, like, okay, I might not agree with it, but because it's my culture, I'll still respect it. Mm-hmm. But then you read about it in Islam and you're like, wow, like... I have proof (laughs) of my rights. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's very interesting. But I also do appreciate the differentiation between the two because it's very easy to mold the two together. It gets very simple. It's like, you know, there's a really fine line between them. Mm -hmm. And being able to figure out that line, being able to figure out your limits and what you're comfortable with is a really important aspect to Mm -hmm. consider. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, thank you for coming. It's been very lovely. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, somehow I feel like whenever we talk about this or any podcast I've done so far, it was coming back to culture and religion. I feel like it's such a big struggle in the community of young women, especially women in immigrant families, always comes back to that conversation mm-hmm. of as a woman, what does it feel like to be in a culture and a religion that sort of combine together sort of thing. Um, if you're hearing this, it means you made it to the end of it podcast the entire episode thank you for listening i hope you really enjoyed basma's reflections she's a wonderful human being and i've probably learned a lot from her not probably i did learn a lot from her her insights and you know a lot of plans um you know we plan a lot of plans but he's the best of planners ultimately and i really appreciate her coming on and being vulnerable and it's beautiful just having someone to really speak her mind and be honest and i love that and you know just being truthful for her for her entire journey um, but yeah, we hope to see you next week Friday and don't forget to be still take a half. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.